Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, this morning I want to share with you from Romans chapter 8. And uh, I'm going to ask a question in a few moments. I think it's really important for the condition of some of your marriages and relationships that you do not point at your spouse in a minute when I ask this. I know you're going to want to maybe point at someone across the room. You're going to want to mention a name. Uh, Just for your sake, I would say you don't have to do that this morning, okay? Okay. Some of you are saying, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Today I want to ask a simple question. My message is simply a question. Who is in the driver's seat? Who's in the driver's seat? You know, in, have you ever heard the, in, have you ever heard the term a back seat driver? Oh, so you're doing it, you're pointing, and I told you not to do that. You can't, you can't acknowledge this. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to pretend, you can, you can pretend like the person's not in the room. Have you ever ridden with a backseat driver? It's possible that in the room this morning there is someone who has never heard the term backseat driver. So in case that is you, uh, I'll, I'll put a picture of the interior of a car. Can we put it on the screen, the interior of a car? You'll notice in the interior of a car, I think it's the picture before this one, uh, the, in every car there is a, the seat on, on your left. What do we call that? The driver's seat. Every other seat in the car is called what? Passenger seat. There is only one chair in every car. It doesn't matter if it's your personal two-seater Miata or if it's a school bus. doesn't matter how many chairs there are in it. There's only one driver's seat. Can someone say amen? amen? There's only one. But many of you have been victim to riding with a back seat driver. And every once in a while, when you're falling victim to a back seat driver, you want to just grab the chair you're sitting in and scream, driver's seat, right? You ever wanted to do that? Have you ever done that? Only me? Wow. Y'all are just what I expected, much more spiritual than I am. But here's the thing about back seat drivers. They tell you what to do, but they don't really have any help to offer you in doing it. Backseat drivers assume that they know better than you. They assume that you don't know what they know, that you're not seeing what they're seeing, that you haven't thought what they've thought. They're assuming that their limited view in the back seat is better than your complete seat and the complete view in the front seat. Back seat drivers. The Lord loves back seat drivers too, by the way. Can I tell you, when we start your life out, when you start off in life, all of us are in the driver's seat. You're in the driver's seat of your own life. But there will be plenty of back seat, side seat, 
other people. Sometimes I've had people yell for me outside the car on how to drive. There are plenty of people trying to tell you how to drive your life. But none of them really have the ability to help you drive your life. They can give you responses to how you're doing. Sometimes they're accurate, sometimes they're not. Before, uh, before Jesus, if you're like me, your life probably had a lot of crashes. Romans 1 through 7 talks about how the law points us on how to live our life but in a nutshell, the law never had the ability to help us live our life. It told us what to do, but it really did, didn't empower us to do what we're supposed to do. But Jesus came not to just tell us what to do, but Jesus came to empower us in doing what we're called to do, in being what we've called to be. I want to tell you this morning, I want us to examine who is in the driver's seat of our life. In order to do that, Romans chapter 8 gives us some ways to do that. Romans 8 says this. This is one of the greatest scriptures in the New Testament. I want to ask you to read just first one with me. On your mark, set, go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Isn't that good news? That there's no condemnation for us here in Christ Jesus. Follow along with me for what the law is powerless to do and the fact that, we was weak, that it was weakened by sinful nature. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met and us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Throughout the rest of our message, we'll cover uh, down through verse number 17. But let's stop and pray right there. Father, we love you. I thank you for every person within the sound of my voice this morning, whether they're in the room or connecting with us online. I pray that the Word of God will work today. I pray the Word of God would illuminate every dark place in our minds, our hearts, and our lives, and that we would be careful to respond to what the Spirit of God would show us. Anoint me this morning to speak what you want spoken. Open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us. Father, help me in my place of weakness. Lord, today, give me strength that only comes from you, and we'll give you thanks. Everybody in the room said amen. I want to propose to you that there is something better than driving your life on your own. There is something better than you being in the driver's seat, which is hard for me to say because I like to be in the driver's seat. If we're going to go somewhere today, and if, if you ask me if I would rather drive or let you drive, here's my answer from now until Jesus comes back. I want to drive. I'm a control feet tree. <clears throat> I, I can control everything because I'm from my mouth this morning. I am a control freak. I have trust issues. And though I love you, I trust me more than I trust you. 
The reason I don't like to fly on airplanes is not because I'm fearful they may crash. I'm fearful that the pilot may know less about flying than I do, which I don't know very much. I just have a hard time trusting people. But can I tell you, there is something better than you being in the driver's seat. There's something better than me being in the driver's seat. There's something better than you having an excellent backseat driver. There is something even better than you having a country music song moment where you sing Jesus Take the Will. (laughs) Well, Pastor, what on earth could that be? It is having the Spirit of God in you. See, the Spirit of God takes all the voices of our life that are around us, speaking to us from the back seat, the side seat, outside our life. The Holy Spirit is better than all those other voices. And here's the thing. He is not wanting to speak to you from the outside in. He's wanting to speak to you from the inside out. This morning, that's what's better. It's your hands on the will, but it's the direction of the Holy Spirit that God wants to put in you that helps you guide, lead, and control the life He's called you to lead. Jeremiah chapter 31 kind of talks about this process. I shared this verse with you a few weeks ago, but I'll share it again. This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put their law in their minds and write them on their hearts. In other words, the law is going to move from being a backseat driver to our life to something that is in us, that works through us. It's not that we're having the voice of God come at us from the outside, but it's the voice of God comes to us from the inside. My hands are on the will, but it's His wisdom, His knowledge, His guidance, His ability that's empowered me to do on my own, aren't doing through Him what I can never do on my own. So how can the Holy Spirit of God Be the driving force of your life. How can I move from living a life that is controlled by outside voices to living a life that is controlled by the inside voice of the Holy Spirit? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Number one, the first way we do that is we have to stop being driven by your past. Romans 8 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We cannot be driven by our past and driven by the will of God at the same time. Somebody has to get out of the driver's seat. Either you will be driven by your past or you'll be driven by the Holy Spirit, but you will not be driven by both. They're contrary to one another. Have you ever tried to outrun someone? I could tell you a story of where I tried to outrun someone, but I would lose some of you. So uh, later on, when I'm not preaching, I'll tell you a story of, of that. But maybe you've seen a television show where someone was trying to outrun maybe a, a, a bad guy who was trying to chase them. Maybe they're trying to outrun the police. Maybe they're trying to outrun you know, their, their, their enemy. Maybe you've watched some, some Jason Bourne movies or something where they're, just, they're, they're going all over town. They're, I'm just saying this. That's why I bring this up. What, what, have you seen enough to know that people, people drive differently when someone is chasing them than they do on their own? Right? When someone is chasing you, you drive with with no concern to 
to people or property. Your only, your only job, your only thing on your mind is to just get away, to get out, to, to run through whatever is stopping you. I've got to get away. Friends, some of us, that's how our past is in us. We're, live, we're trying to live for Jesus, but we're driven by our past instead of by the Holy Spirit. So we live our whole life in a frantic, wondering, how can I, how can I overcome this past that's chasing me? But can I tell you that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your past is no longer chasing you. The Word says there is now, therefore, no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus, which means my past is not something to fear. My past is not something to flee from. My past is just a foundation by which I can preach that Jesus has set me free. That's it. So I can't be driven by my past. See, my bad driving, my distracted driving, my past driving, I'm not talking about cars this morning, I'm talking about my life. My past way of driving has, and so is yours, by the way, has created some collateral damage that I didn't even know about. Every sin, some people say things like this, well, my sin is my own business. That sounds legit. The problem is sin always causes collateral damage. It always damages people that aren't even on your radar. It damages people you don't even see. It hurts people. It disappoints people. It causes damage to people. But, but the Word says that when we come to Jesus, that He heals us and that all the condemnation of our past is gone. Let me, let me take just a second and make sure we all understand why is that such good news? When I just said that phrase, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That, maybe you sense some excitement in my voice that's not quite in your heart this morning. Maybe it's because you don't understand what condemnation means. All of us, if we've ever sinned, which Romans 3.23 says we all have, the moment we sin, we earn something, and that earned thing that we earn is condemnation. Condemnation is, is two words in one. Number one, it is the, it is the guilt, right? It's what we did wrong, but it's also the sentencing of that guilt. And so maybe you've seen a house that's been condemned. A lot of times they'll have yellow tape on it. Or they'll have a poster on the front door that says, Don't enter. This house has been condemned. What does that mean? That means, number one, the current state of that house is unusable. Unusable. That's the current state. Condemnation has been condemned. Its current state is uninhabitable. But it also speaks to the future state, right? Because if a, uh, if a condemned house stays condemned long enough, what's going to happen to it? It's going to be torn down. And so it speaks to its, its present condition and its future condition. How many understand before you and I came to Jesus, we had a very solidified present condition that was lost and a future condition which was eternity without God. We were condemned. We were lost and condemned to a future without God. That was, our, that was our life. That was our reality. Some of us felt it. Some of us, were, 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 we felt something, but we didn't know what it was. But Jesus says that he, when he comes into our life, that he makes us brand new. That's why Paul says there's 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He rehabs the house so it can be lived in. Again, I want to say three things about condemnation. Number one, I want to tell you that it's removed because we're in Christ. Faith is not just saying, I believe something. Faith is an action form. It's an it's a, it's a all-encompassing part of our life. That's why James says, what good is it for a person to say they have faith, but there's no change of lifestyle, there's no, there's no synchronization between this life and what they proclaim. But when we're in Christ... It means all the condemnation is removed because we're, by faith, we're in Him. Second, condemnation is removed. I like how he says this word here, now. He says, now. Would you say that word with me? Now. now. I love the word now. I love when someone says, it is now your turn to be seated. Your food is now ready. You may now kiss your bride. I love that one, right? I, the word now is powerful. But can I tell you the word now can also be substituted for another word? Finally. Finally, it is your turn. Finally, the Razorbacks won a football game. I'm speaking that one by faith. <laughs> finally, right? When you say now you may kiss your bride, that's kind of like saying finally. Three songs later, finally you may kiss your bride. By the way, I think weddings should be short and simple. Finally, if you want yours long and six hours, I'll still preach it if you want me to. But in my heart, I'll be wishing it was shorter. <laughs> Condemnation is removed now. Pastor, why does that matter? Have you ever heard the term pre-existing condition? Some of you kind of groan, Because you've bought health insurance before, Right? pre-existing conditions. If you ever bought you know, health coverage, or there's there certain providers or certain places of employment that won't cover you if you're injured, damaged, sick, or whatever. They won't cover you for a certain amount of time until you've worked there 60 days or been insured for a year or all these things because you have this pre-existing condition. So you have to go through this, this, this um, probation period before you're accepted on their plan. But when Paul says, there is therefore now, despite all your preconditions, despite you don't have a track record of getting it all right all the time, despite you have messed up 172 times in the last week, despite all of that, there is now Starting today, in the moment you come to Jesus, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And here's C. You're not going to like this one. I'll tell you anyway, because some people get this confused. Condemnation is removed even when consequences are not. Did you know? I'm just helping you understand condemnation. Did you know there's a difference between condemnation and consequences? Jesus will remove every single ounce of condemnation from your life. He does not always remove all the consequences from your life. The thief on the cross spoke out to Jesus and said, Lord, 
remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said what? Today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. All the condemnation of that thief's life was instantly gone. But the consequences of his life remained. I know this isn't a popular subject matter, but I want to press it more. There was a lady who was caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus said actually the words, Who is it that condemns you? And she said, No one after Jesus writes in the ground and they all live. But then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. But go and leave your life of sin. Right. He was asking her to live in a different way to avoid the same consequences. There's another man who Jesus healed and after later on came in contact with Jesus again and Jesus told that man who he'd healed, listen, stop sinning, he said, or something worse will happen to you. He'd extended the grace of God. He'd healed him. He'd forgiven him. But he said, just because I've taken away the condemnation that was on your life, if you don't change, the consequences may stay the same. Pastor, that's kind of tough. Why are you saying that to me? Because we need to, sometimes we think that that grace, we talked about this three weeks ago, that grace is, this, is an internal get-out-of-jail-free card. And that the grace of God means I don't have to say no to sin and ungodliness like Titus teaches us. But the grace of God, it removes the condemnation, but more than that, it, it gives us the ability to live a new life for Jesus. That we don't have to have that same condemnation, nor do we have to live with the same type of consequences from the life we live for Jesus. But in order to embrace that, we have to do number two this morning. Second thing is we have to allow the Holy Spirit to retrain our brain. Turn to your neighbor tell them you need the Holy Spirit to retrain your brain. All of us do, okay? They're not just picking on you. We all need the Holy Spirit to retrain our, our minds. Look at what look the verse says in, in verse number five and six. It says, those who live according to the Spirit have their mindset. You know what a mindset is? This is the way you think. It says they have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what the sinful nature desires. Let me ask you something. When we come to Jesus, is the way we think automatically changed? Does our mindset automatically change in that moment? Or do we have to allow the Holy Spirit to develop us and shift the way we think. We have to let him shift the way we think. We have to trust him to respond to life in the ways that he would want us to respond to life, not the way we want to respond to life. Have you seen the commercial? I don't know if it's Tesla or maybe different automobiles, I don't know. But there's, a car, there's car commercials out there that has automated driving where people are like reading a book while the car drives for them. And while that looks cool, I've already told you, I'm a control freak. While that looks cool, 
I want to make sure that while this machine is driving me, I will not be reading a book, by the way. While this machine is driving me, if I grab a hold of the handle and I steer it, will it? Will it move? Or if I hit the brakes, will it break? Or if I hit the gas, will it go? I guess what I'm asking is, do I have the power to override it? Because, friends, I want the power to override a machine that's driving me. Does anyone else in the same boat I am? You want the power to override it? Because I might see something the computer doesn't see. I might, I might hear something. I might hear the train horn that the car doesn't hear. I want the power to override it in stressful situations. Right? Is it just me? All of us? What can I tell you? The Holy Spirit. Remember that voice that's wanted to guide us from the inside? and not just the outside. There's going to be moments in your life where if you are living by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is going to direct you, speak to you, challenge you to respond in a way that goes against what you think, feel, or see. I won't say that again out loud so you can hear it. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God inside of you at times in your life, is going to direct you differently than what you see with your eyes, what you hear with your ears, what you know in your mind. The Spirit of God is going to, at times, challenge you to act in a way that is in opposition to what you think. Right? What are you going to do in that moment? Are you going to take, are you going to put your hands on the will of your life and say, listen, I know the word of God says this, but I want to do that. Or I know the spirit of God is telling me to act this way, but by George, I've got a right to act the other way and you're going to hit the brakes or stomp the gas. I'm going to do it my way instead of his way. See, when we, we do that, we are responding with the flesh instead of a spirit-led response. See, we've got to retrain our brain. Well, pastor, how do I retrain my brain? Here's the hard part about it. You can't retrain your brain until your mind is in opposition with the spirit and you decide that by faith, I'm going to do what the spirit says instead of what my mind says. Good preaching. Thank you. My, my mind has never, not one time ever, told me to bless those that persecute me. Pray for those who despitefully use me. Does the Spirit of God say that? Yes. How do I know that? Because it's in His Word, and the Spirit is never in opposition to the Word. So if the Word says it, that's what the Spirit's going to tell me to do. But I don't always feel like doing that. Sometimes I want to do something not so spiritual than pray for them. How, how have I finally trained my brain that when someone injures me, instead of retaliating against them in the flesh, instead of that being my knee-jerk reaction, how have I ever trained my brain to respond with a little bit of patience until I can turn it into prayer? The only way I could ever do it was at some point in the past, I say, you know, instead of knocking this guy out this time, Instead of keying their car in the parking lot after church, instead of doing that, I'm going to 
pray for them instead. And lo and behold, God's way worked out better than my way. But I would never believe it until I tried it. See, the Holy Spirit resides in the heart of a believer, and He is helping us retrain our brain. That's why Philippians says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, what is just, whatever is right, think on these things. That's why Romans chapter 12 says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inside of you. Who's in the driver's seat? The Holy Spirit inside of you is trying to get you to operate according to a new pattern. And the way we think, see, or feel isn't always in accordance with that pattern. January 1 of this year, I started retraining my brain. Someone asked me last week, who is that unshaven fat dude on the screen before service? That's not exactly their words, but pretty much. Who is who's the fat dude on the screen before church? Me. In that picture, I'm 47 pounds heavier, uh, 40, excuse me, 44 pounds heavier, and I don't have a beard. And the way I've done this is January the 1st, I downloaded this app, and it's got this little Scantron thing on it. And when I go to the grocery store, I go to the snack bar or whatever, I can scan that barcode, and that barcode tells me good or evil. (laughs) That's not exactly what it says, but something like that. Good or evil. And can I tell you, there were things at the beginning of this year when it comes to food, that I was pretty sure was good. And this app, I scan it, it says evil. I'm like, that can't be right. Evil. Did you know there's things at the grocery store that are, they're in the health food section. And this app tells me, not so much. I thought, I mean, fig, Newton? got the word fig in it. It has to be healthy. Ice cream, dairy, food group, milk group, got to be good. I'm still arguing with the app on that one. I'm just saying that it took me, I mean, I would literally, I'm like your worst nightmare if you're behind me in the buggy line at Walmart because I'm like, I get, Try what about this? No? Okay, what about this? What, what about this chocolate chip cookie? No, bad. Okay, what about this chocolate chip cookie? No, bad. What about, I mean, there has to be a cookie here that's not evil. Let me just tell you, they're all evil. I've checked them all. <laughs> Even the ones that say they're not evil, they're just evil in disguise. They're evil under a new name. And this, uh, some of you are like, Pastor, this is like, you, you should have already known that. You're right, I should have. But see, I wanted, to, I wanted to think like I wanted to think instead of what this thing how it wanted me to think. Some of us, we are in love with the way we think. We are in love with what we have denounced or what we have denoted as good. And no one can tell us that what we call good is actually evil until we submit to something else. 
So we submit to a different voice. And I would submit to you not to submit to the 120,000 backseat voices in your life, but instead make sure the Holy Spirit is in the center of your life and submit everything to Him. And if He says it's good, it's going to be good. If He says it's pleasing to God, it's going to be pleasing to God. And if He says it's not pleasing to God, can I tell you, it doesn't matter how you decorate it and, and flash it up. It's the, if the Holy Spirit says it's not going to be good God, is not going to be pleasing to the Lord. That's why we need Him residing inside of us. Why? Because if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit, listen to this verse in verse number 13 of Romans 8. If by the Spirit, what's the Spirit of God inside of me trying to do? Here's what the Holy Spirit inside of so Some people think the Holy Spirit inside of you just makes you want to shout. Holy Spirit just makes you want, wants you to have goosebumps. The Holy Spirit makes you want to do all these crazy things. No, here's what the Spirit of God is trying to do inside of you. He is trying to put to death the misdeeds of your body so that you can leave, live pleasing to the Lord. On Romans chapter 4 says to come near to God, He'll come near you to you. Wash your hands, purify your hearts, come near to Him. David Guzik tells us six ways to recognize the activity of the Holy Spirit. I'll give them to you real quick. Number one, he says, realize the Holy Spirit is the voice that leads you to repentance. The Holy Spirit is going to be the one that challenges you to think less of yourself and more of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you into truth, not just your truth, but the truth, not just the truth that makes you happy, not just the truth that, that aligns with what you wanted to believe in the first place. He'll lead you to this truth, to, to his truth. He leads you to love people and not lust after people. I'm not talking about just, I'm talking God-honoring love. He leads you to holiness. He leads you to usefulness in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit retrains our minds as we allow Him to guide us by His Spirit. And the more you allow Him to guide you by His Spirit, the more He guides you by His Spirit. Number three. Megan, if you want to come. Number three. We have to embrace the spirit of sonship. Look at verse number Eight. How, do, how, do I, how do I move from all these voices being in the backseat of my life to putting the Holy Spirit in the center of my life? You have to receive the spirit of sonship. Look at verse number 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by which we can cry, Abba, Abba, Father. Paul contrasts two different words, slavery and sonship. Those are two Opposing forces. You're either going to live as a slave or you're going to live as a son. A slave follows orders. A son stewards a relationship. See, the Holy Spirit changes how we approach our Heavenly Father. It's not that He changes the rules as much as He changes our approach to the Father and how we see the Father. When I was a kid, I had three, three main jobs in my house. Number one, take out the trash. Number two, unload the dishwasher. And number three, mow the yard. Now I'm 47 years old, 
and I still have three major jobs in my house. It's to unload the dishwasher, take out the trash, and mow the yard. I don't do them all that well. But when I was a kid, I mean, I've got plenty of practice. When I was a kid, I cannot tell you how many arguments I had with my dad. Not really arguments, it's just this conversations of tension I had with my dad about taking out the trash, mowing the yard, emptying the dishwasher. It was not high on my to-do list. It was very high on his to-do list. And so that created friction, tension, all through my teenage years. I never, I never really outgrew grew it. Uh, take out the trash, mow the yard with a push mower. It just, but something happened, especially in the last five to ten years of my dad's life, especially when his health started to depreciate or, or to go down. This, these same tensions over the yard being mowed, the garbage being taken out, the dishwasher being unloaded, these same tensions resurfaced to where we started having not arguments, but tense conversation. As a guy in his 40s talking to a man in his 70s, we had tense conversations about dishwashers, yard mowing, trash taken out. Except for this time, the conversation went this way. Dad, stop taking out the trash. I will do it. Dad, stop mowing the stinking yard. Call me. I'll drive and I will mow the yard. Dad, stop unloading that dishwasher. I'm right here. The things he asked of me as a young man and the things that I wanted to do as a not-so-young man, the activity never changed. But my heart changed. I am now fighting to do what you used to fight to get me to do. Some of you would say, oh, well, Pastor, that's just maturity. You matured. Part of, it, part of that is true, but part of it was I had embraced fully what it was to be a son who wanted to honor his father. Jesus said this command that my disciples, you'll know you're my disciples by the fact that you keep my commands. We read that and we could, we could think God is, Jesus is manipulating us. It would be like me telling Megan, now if you love me, you go get me some ice cream. If you love me, that's what you do. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You can almost think like, like Jesus is saying, if you love me, you do what I ask of you. Let's not, Jesus is not a manipulator. It's not that Jesus is trying to manipulate who you are. What he's saying is, is if you love me, the love you have for me is going to birth inside of you a want to to do what may be in opposition to your old want-tos. But now what do you, now you want to do what you didn't used to want to do because there's a love for me 
that's been birthed inside of you. That's, that's putting the Holy Spirit in the driver's seat of your life. You find yourself doing what you want to do, and what you want to do is in complete opposition to what you want to do, what you used to want to do, because now you're in love with something different, someone different, and you know someone loves you. It's the heart of God. I want to ask you about your heads this morning. My question was simple, simply this. Who is in the driver's seat of your life? Can I tell you, if, if your life is like mine, you've been through a season where it's just like crash after crash after crash after crash, that might be a good, good indicator. I'm not talking about hardship after hardship. There's a difference, there's a difference between, between hardship and crashes. But if you know you are serious, trying her best to get in this altar call. If you know, Pastor, I've been crashing. I know it's because I've been trying to live my life according to all the other voices. Maybe it's the people around you, the people in the backseat of your life. Maybe it's people outside of your life. I'll, I'll just be, be honest with you. It's really, hard. it's really easy to find a thousand and one different voices that want to speak in your life. But what is important is that the Holy Spirit is the center of your life and His voice is the one that rings true. His voice is the one we listen to. His voice is the one that we make our decisions by. His voice is the one that we follow, whether it agrees with what we thought, felt, or see or not. We follow Jesus. We follow His voice. We follow His word because those are the things that changes us from the inside out when we listen to the voice of God instead of our own voice. Say, Pastor, I've been experiencing a lot of crashes in my life, and I understand it's because I've been listening to my own voice or maybe the voice of people instead of the voice of God. And today, I just need to repent of that. I, I confess today I've been doing that, and today I also repent of it. That from now on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to invite, I'm going to listen to the Spirit of God more than the voices of people. I love to just include you in prayer. I want to pray over you if you're making that choice today. We just lift your hand real quick. I mean, Pastor, I've been listening to the wrong voices, too many voices. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray today from the front to the back, all across this room. But each of us would make sure that you are in the center of our life. You are the voice that we are giving, we're giving credence to. You're the voice we're following. You're the voice we're obeying. You're the voice that we're deriving value from. You're the voice that's determining our steps. Not the voices of people around us. Not even the voices of people that love us and care about us. Not definitely not the voices of strangers. We want the voice of Jesus, the voice of the Holy Spirit to be the driving force of our life. And God, we just make room for that this morning. If that means getting quiet in your presence. We're going to do that. If that means digesting more of your words so we recognize the word of God when it comes. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you're ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and God bless.